22, 9 through 14. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Y'all doing good? Glad you came to church today. If you've not met, I'm Chris. I'm the teaching pastor here at Riverstone. Glad you're with us. I uh, just want to reiterate our hopes for the Christmas Eve service. Uh, our, our agenda is to preach the gospel as clearly as we know how. Uh, and so you're, that morning, you're probably going to hang out with family and friends. And I just want to challenge you um, to, to bring them to that service. Because our, our whole agenda is just to have a crystal clear presentation of what the gospel is. Uh, we're gonna, we'll be here together. We're going to break all sorts of fire codes. We're going to have candles. It's going to be super fun. Um, <clears throat> and just don't forget, don't come in the morning because no one will be here. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice, so just hang with me. Uh, we are in a season of the church called Advent. Uh, which is really uh, an old, old tradition uh, where Christians have lit candles and remember that Jesus came to us. Um, but uh, according to Jesus, however, uh, he was not just um, like a spiritual guru or uh, a moral teacher. Jesus claimed uh, to be God come to man. It's really an incredible, uh, outlandish, difficult-to-believe claim. Um, but it's clear in the Gospels, this is what Jesus claimed about himself over and over again. He claimed oneness with God. Um, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, his enemies uh, picked up stones to uh, stone him to death. And he, he, he answered them by saying, I've, I love this about Jesus. He says, I, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? Um, the Jews answered, it's not for the good works that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Um, this is one of the main reasons that uh, religious folk hated him so much, uh, that he claimed to be God, even so that his enemies pointed it out, like, you claim to be God. That's why we're going to kill you. And so in Advent, we light candles and reflect on, meditate on, contemplate the implications that in Jesus, God came to us. Um, they're vast. And if this is true, if God did come to us, we have to ask questions like, what does that mean? What should it, what should it mean? If the creator God, maker of heaven and earth, um, maker of all of life, if that God came to us not to subject us or to dominate us, but rather to be subjected, to be dominated, that's what happened to Jesus God came to us, creator of all of life, to allow our darkness to descend on him in order to take it onto himself. If this is true, this has massive ramifications. The God of creation, the God that made all of life, it means that the one who gave us life, the one who gave us life, when he came to us, we killed them. This is a fascinating story, the Bible. I don't know if you've ever sat with it. If it's true, if that's true, if the God that gave us life came to us, and when he came, we killed him, it means that humanity is way worse off than we thought, right? 
But Advent calls us to remember uh, that he came and, um, and reflect on the implications of this. And I've, ha- I've been having us consider it through the lens of kingdom, um, which was Jesus's primary message, if you read the Gospels, uh, the kingdom of God's at hand, which we'll come back to at the end. Um, but, but today we sit with one of the more fa- um, famous passages of scripture um, about Christmas. A cr- Christian or not, you probably know the passage that um, Josh read earlier. If you've seen Charlie Brown, you know the passage. It's when the angels appear to the shepherds, um, and it goes something like this. I'll read it again for us. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ. That's Christ is a title, um, the anointed one, the Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, if you were to ask anyone, what's Christmas about? Like, what's, like, what are we selling? What's the message of Christmas? There's a good chance someone would say, well, peace on earth. That's what Jesus came to bring, peace on earth. And every week we've been sitting with one of these themes, hope, light, peace. And we've been asking, okay, when we say hope, light, peace, when we say those words, do we think of the same thing that the biblical authors thought of? Like when they said Christmas brings hope or Advent, Jesus brought peace, are we thinking of the same kind of hope? or the same kind of peace, or do they have another definition of hope and peace than we do? In other words, what's the nature of the hope that Christmas is supposed to bring? Is it like presents? And get, is that the nature of the hope? We all get presents? Is that it, right? Is, it, is the nature of the peace silent night, quiet still? Is that the kind of peace? That, what do you think of when you think of the word peace? What's the nature? If, I, if someone were to ask you, do you have peace? What would you think of? Does that mean you have bandwidth? Do you have space? Like, can you retreat to the mountains and med- meditate? What do you think the peace that Christmas brings, what, what's the kind of peace? What's the nature of it? How can a baby born in the Middle East 2,000 years ago bring you any real peace? How? Seriously. Like, do you, I mean, how? It, 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 like, that was then, this is now. I don't know, baby Jesus didn't know how much debt you were going to be in, right? Like, does he know, like, how's he going to bring peace? Or maybe he wasn't quite aware of the political climate of 2023, you know? Or like, how horrible your job would be. What kind of peace is he bringing? Seriously, have you ever thought about it? Peace it's something I think we all desperately want. We want peace. Uh, we, we hate the feeling of restlessness. I hate conflict. Super, I hate conflict. But if someone were to ask you, do you have peace, what, kind, what would your mind think of? Um, social media has really created an idea of peace that really means never coming in contact with anything stressful or anything you disagree with. Today, we have nicknames like snowflakes or words like triggered that are firmly in our vernacular now. 
And maybe it's not totally social media's fault, but certainly when you think of your pursuit of peace, you have the idea of the removal of anything stressful or difficult. Like if I can just get the algorithm of life right, right? I only get pet videos and like <clears throat> people falling down, maybe a few like harmless prank videos. Like you guys seen the ones with that crazy family that fills up balloons with like some sort of white stuff and they're shooting it. Have you seen this? It's hilarious. I love it. And I'm like, you just destroyed your kitchen, made a hot mess. We so anyway, we, uh, we think like, man, if I can just get the algorithm of life right, just remove everything I disagree with, for like for a month, however, I will say, as like a 40-year-old white male, I, I had only cat videos in my Instagram feed for like a month, which to me is like uncontested victory. Like I won. <laughs> like I, I beat the system. Anyway, we think <clears throat> if I can just get the algorithm of life right, never be uncomfortable Never have to deal with anything difficult. Never be tested. You know? If I can just get my life just right, or I can, I can just avoid contact with anything I disagree with. That's very much the definition of many of us have that when we think of peace and well-being. Right? Now, if you just take that definition of peace, never be tested Never be stressed out. Never have anything that pushes back on you. Just take that definition to any personal trainer or fitness coach and tell him, I want to achieve physical health by avoiding anything physically stressful or difficult. He will say, you don't want health. You want death. You actually want death. Your muscles will waste away because the way you grow in life and strength is by enduring testing, you, by enduring difficult things. Right? Sometimes when we want peace, when we say, I just want some peace, I think what we mean is, I just want ease. We have confused peace with easy. And we say, I just want to be around people that make my life easy. I want people around me that are easy to love. I want people around me that, I can, that agree with me on everything. That's Peace, right? But it might just be ease that you want. So what's the nature of the peace that Jesus claims to bring? The angel said it, peace on earth, right? What kind of peace are we talking about here? Think of all the different kinds of peace that we can think of, right? I mean, you could probably think of more. I just have a couple we're going to think about. Global peace? International peace? Is it the absence of war? Is that the peace that Christmas brings? Is it Inner peace, peace of mind, inner peace. Is it relational peace, harmony between men? Is that the kind of peace that Jesus brought? Was he bringing geopolitical peace? Linus says, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, which is the KJV. <clears throat> Did you notice it was a bit different in what we read? The KJV says, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. They make it seem like peace is going to be this blanket that just stre stretches out over all of the globe and everything. There are no more wars. And so many people have read this and said, well, obviously, when Jesus brought peace, he means he's going to bring international peace. There's not going to be any more wars. Well, the actual language in the Greek is slightly different than how the KJV got it. And we read it. It says, um, peace among men with whom he is pleased. That's actually the Greek 
peace among men with whom he, it's, it's actually a little more specific than how the KJV, and actually most trans, almost all translations have, adapt, have changed. They don't translate it the way the KJV translated it. They translate it, peace among men with whom he is pleased, not this kind of, so, so, so let's just, so, but even still, a lot of people have said, well, Christmas and Jesus is supposed to bring global international peace. Okay, well, let's just take that definition and ask. We've got 2,000 years of Christianity under our belts. Did Jesus stop every war? Has Christianity established global peace? We've got 2,000 years of Christianity strong, right? Are we as a species any more peaceful now than when Jesus came? If, when Jesus, when the angel said, peace on earth, if they meant geopolitical international peace, then Jesus has failed and his church has failed. In fact, as we mentioned uh, like a few weeks ago, the 20th century, by far the most murderous, violent century in human history. If Jesus was supposed to be peace on earth between countries, political peace, then he's failed and we have failed because uh, earth is not very peaceful at all. But is that the kind of peace Jesus went to bring? Was that his goal? Was that the domain in which he wanted to establish peace, right? In fact, you know what's interesting? If you read the Bible, Jesus actually said things were going to get more violent towards the end. Let me read it to you, Matthew 24. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes, in various, earthquakes quake, quakes, in various places. All these are but the beginning birth pangs. Jesus seems to think the earth will be less and less peaceful. Despite the fact that angels said, he's bringing peace. Now, does that mean that Christians shouldn't be about global peace or political peace? Isn't that, does that mean that? We shouldn't care about that? I mean, aren't, supposed, aren't Christians supposed to be people of peace? Blessed are the peacemakers. Yes. But if it's political peace, then all of us should be politicians. And that's gross. <laughs> right? <clears throat> I think we know the kind of peace Jesus brings cannot be established through legislation. I don't think. So people say, well, the angels aren't talking about that kind of peace because that didn't obviously don't work out 2,000 years. Oh, he's talking about a kind of subjective equilibrium kind of internal peace of mind. He's talking about inner peace, inner peace. Kind of, kind of a Zen piece, where, uh, which is real similar to the algorithm of life. You know, remove all the stressors. So a lot of people have said, this, is, this has got to be the kind of peace he's bringing, right? So what, what is that? If that's the kind of peace Jesus brings, then all of us need to move to the mountains. We need to retreat from the dirty, icky world of people that disagree with us. And we need to, we need to find a, like a, a, a commune, you know? Like a monastic retreat where we can get away and meditate and be in God's presence and just love him. And have, <laughs> where, where we can just only have people that agree with us. That's the kind of peace. A lot of people have thought this is the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. Kind of meditate on the mountain, inner peace. And of course, of course, Dude, the New Testament talks about peace that surpasses understanding. It's not absent of that. Of course, there's inner peace. There's inner resolve. There's stillness of soul, what the psalmist would call waiting on the Lord. Yes, yes, yes. But is that the kind of peace Jesus brought in Christmas? Is it just a quiet stillness he wants to call you to? I mean, I'll, I'll sign up for that. Sounds great. I got young kids. Like, I'd love a silent night, right? Um, or maybe... 
The peace that Jesus brought primarily was relational peace, peace between husband and wife, peace between parent and child, peace between brother and brother, which of course is true. Ephesians 2 talks about Jesus destroying the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Dude, he did that. That's there, right? He brought harmony uh, between brothers. He destroyed the barrier in Ephesians 2. But is that the primary peace that Jesus brought? Because there's kind of a big problem with this one specifically. If that's the kind of peace Jesus brought, if he only brought the kind of peace to where, like, we just got to learn how to get unity, right? People probably say that's what Christmas is about. Let's all just get together and get, you know, be united and get each other presents. And that's, the, that's what Christmas is about. There's a problem with this if that's what Jesus brought. In Luke 21, Luke 12, sorry, 51, he says this. I, Tim Keller says, I don't know why we don't read this on Christmas. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, rather division. So Jesus, did you come to bring peace or not, bro? Because like, this is kind of getting confusing. Because the angel said, you were going to bring peace. <laughs> what does he mean? Hang with me. There will be instances in your life uh, where to follow Jesus, he will have to divide you. He will have to bring division to your own heart. In some cases, he will have to bring division between you and influences in your life. If you are going to follow dark influences, or maybe just unhealthy influences. It might be a relationship with a person. It might be a relationship with a habit. Or it might be a relationship with a train of thought, with a way of thinking, in which Jesus has to come to you and divide you. He has to bring division in your life, internally, and sometimes in relationships. There are times, y'all, when the leaving and cleaving of marriage applies to our relationship with Jesus, and we have to leave other relationships in order to follow Jesus. That's there. It might be a person. It might be your, your relationship with a person. It might be your, your relationship with your credit card, okay? But Jesus, make no mistake, Jesus brings division he does. Just like light divides darkness. Now, that doesn't mean that we're meant to be holier than thou and we don't burn bridges in relationships and all this kind of stuff. But when you follow Jesus, he often brings division. Just like God divided the waters and brought forth land so that humanity can flourish, sometimes God has to divide your heart to remove things that lead to death so that you can flourish. So, back to the main line of thought. Okay, but aren't Christians supposed to be a people of peace? Like relational peacemakers? Yes. In fact, <laughs> Romans 12 calls us to live at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. Then, pile on top of that, the vast array of New Testament scriptures about peace. God is called the God of peace. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. Okay, so all those types of pieces, pieces, peace, are there, pieces of peace. All those, all that peace, Reese's, pieces, all of that peace is there, okay? In all times and every way, it's all there, yes, yes. But political, nor inner, nor peace between brothers is what Christmas claims to bring, primarily. 
Should Christians work for political peace? Of course they should. You should be at peace with all, if ours depends on you. Aren't you supposed to have inner peace, holistic, authentic people whose hearts aren't divided? Yes, please God and amen. Aren't we supposed to seek peace in our relationships? 100%. Okay, then why did you just spend all this time saying that's not the peace Jesus brought? Good question. Glad you're using your brain. I'm glad you're hanging with us. And secondly, I've not been saying that. I've just been letting scripture speak. But number three, all that inner peace, relational peace, political peace, all of it is resting on another kind of peace that we lack. All of that can only work when it's rooted on a deeper, more existential, more fundamental kind of peace, which is peace with God. Which means the Bible seems to think humanity's primary problem isn't political. It is not inner or some sort of a, uh, aloof spiritual problem, but it is the relational problem, not between man and man, but between man and God. And you have to take a step back to see the whole picture. The biblical paradigm is that of a cosmos, that of a humanity that is at odds with God. That's the biblical paradigm. And y'all, if you want to really go deep, it's not just humanity, it's spiritual beings too. The biblical explanation of why the world is the way it is is that very early on there was a cosmic rebellion, an earthly and a heavenly one. And if you're like, where's the Bible say there's a heavenly rebellion? Well, let's get coffee because it'll take a few hours, but Genesis 6, you can go look at it. But it's not simply that we are at odds with God, like a kind of small disagreement, that, but the Bible says that we have rebelled that you and I have become collaborators in a mutiny, insurrection, it's sedition. This is the Bible, this is the picture the Bible paints of the cosmos, that we have acted with sedition in our hearts. The biblical picture of the cosmos is more like a coup d'etat, where we have dethroned the true king and enthroned ourselves. And it's true for every one of us. We have betrayed the most essential, deepest relationship on offer, the relationship with our creator. I mean, if he created us, if that's true, then he knows you better than anyone. He knows you better than your parents, knows you better than your wife. He knows your inner workings better than anyone if he created you. I mean, your parents made you, but the psalm says he knit you together in your mom's womb. And for God to say he's bringing peace between us and him, it means that us, us and him, it means that we were not at peace with the most intimate relationship we could know. And one of the words the New Testament uses to describe this lack of peace between us and God, it's a horrible word. We never use this word anymore. I, I, in fact, I discovered this week, I've been pronouncing this word wrong my entire life. It's enmity. 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 I thought it was enmity. It's actually E-N-M-I. Anyway, it's the Greek word... Um, Ekthra, which sounds even worse, right? Ekthra. Some translations interpret this word hostility. But actually, enmity is better because it doesn't just mean at odds. It means hatred. Deep-seated hatred. It's not that we don't prefer God. It's that we hate him. John 3 says this, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. We hate the light for all sorts of reasons. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile, ekthra, to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It means, what's that Romans 8 verse means? That's a very uncomfortable verse. What does it mean? It means that when your mind 
is set on yourself, when all you care about is your desires, your wants, your wisdom, you are at war with God. Some people have a big problem with this verse, Romans 8. And they, they, say, they read that and they say, cannot submit to God's law. And, and they see it as a kind of deterministic, oppressive. And we hear the word cannot and we think, I can do whatever I want. You can't tell me, I'll submit to God's law if I want to. Which is exactly the attitude being addressed. Because God comes to you and says, I made you, I love you, and I have a right way to instruct you on in how to live. And we say, no one tells me what to do. I do. What I the Bible is going to say, when we live like that, it's not just disagreeing with God, it's sedition. It's cosmic mutiny. It's hatred towards God. And think about it, y'all. Who do you submit to that you hate? No, you don't. You don't submit to someone when you hate them. It's clear in Romans 8, the reason the person can't submit to God is because of how he's positioned his mind on the flesh. In other words, he's fixated his mind on himself, his wisdom, his ways. He therefore disregards God's ways and wisdom, and in doing so, creates hostility between himself and his creator, enmity. We've made ourselves enemies of the only true light in the universe. And therefore, when light comes, we think, we think everyone loves light. It's warm. It, gives, it makes things grow. It's not true, y'all. In fact, John 3 tells us we hate it sometimes because we're ashamed of what it exposes, right? And if we've made ourselves enemy of the one who knows us best, it, that, that, the Prince of Peace is his name, right? It, it, and if he knows us best, he's the only one that really knows what brings true peace. And if we've made ourselves enemies of the Prince of Peace, then there can be no peace in our lives. No matter how much political or inner peace we think you have, there is no peace if you are at war with God. The peace of Christmas, y'all, is not geopolitical. It's not simply inner peace. It's not simply... Peace between man and man, it is, it is peace between man and God. Peace with God. And it's so important for us to see. If we think, y'all, it's political peace or just peace between men, we may become despondent or even depressed. We may end up trying to live our whole lives, trying to achieve a kind of peace and miss the peace that he's already given us in Jesus, right? Because we're looking in the wrong place. And what's more... We may become like the prophets who are condemned in Jeremiah 8, who says this, they heal the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there's no peace. See, these guys were comforting people who were still at war with God in their hearts, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. And it says that they healed them superficially. You, you, it says... They didn't, they didn't get to the root of the problem. It's that they're offering you political peace, relational peace, even inner peace. However we think about that, it, many times it's a veneer. It's a shallow peace. Because it's not, it's not fixing the problem in your soul. But you're at odds with your creator. And only if we can put back if we can be put back at peace with God, are any of those other pieces even a, ever a viable option, right? 
We don't fundamentally need peace with nations, but yes, please. You don't fundamentally need peace with your brothers or even peace within yourself. You need peace with God. And it's from that deeper peace, y'all, that all other peace and life begins to flow. And if you think about it, it's true. If you're, listen, if you're in an estranged relationship, if you're at odds with someone, right, sometimes the only way to bring peace is by steering towards the conflict. You know what I'm talking about? If you want to be at peace with someone, but you're in odds with them, you've, you're, you're enemies now. There's, been, there's tension between you. There's a conflict. Some, most of the times, almost all the time, you have to go through the conflict to get back to peace, don't you? You have to address it. Sometimes it's got to get harder before it gets easier. Like if there's going to be peace, you have to deal with it, you know? You got to either offer forgiveness or even worse, receive it. Eat humble pie and repent and say you're sorry. Or if you're, been, if you're the one who's been offended, you have to bear the injustice. If you just ignore it, there's no chance of peace in the relationship. You have to deal with it. You have to go through it. And y'all, this is the claim of Christmas. That there was hostility between you and God. And Jesus came to go through it to deal with it, to address it at its root. He came to us to address not just some sort of like, well, life's okay, and maybe I'll take Jesus on the side, and he'll be garnished on the play of an already pretty full life, and yeah, I'll take Jesus off the, no, dude, dude. He came to go through, to get to the center of you being at war with your creator, to put you at peace with God, God himself. Offering forgiveness, a new beginning, a clean slate to wipe away the debt himself and pay the price that your rebellion cost. Allowing our evil and darkness to descend on him, to, to bear it for us. This is what the prophet meant 700 years before Jesus came when he said, you know when the Messiah comes, the anointed one? Oh, this guy, he's going to be pierced for our transgressions. He's going to be crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds were healed. So maybe you're here today and you've experienced peace with God. You know what I'm talking about. You know the kind of deeper, fundamental peace that comes when you've been reconciled with Jesus, when you begin to actually believe that Jesus is who he said he was. It was and did what he said he did for you. Maybe you've experienced that. And let me tell you something, dude, it's deep. It's in the depths of your heart. When you begin to experience by faith the forgiveness and the restoration of the one essential relationship, it transforms you. It changes everything. But maybe you're here today, and you're like, I'm a pretty peaceful guy. I take a, several vacations a year, you know? I go for quiet walks. My bank account is padded, you know? And you'd even say, I don't hate God. I'm not hostile to him. I mean, I guess I'm fine with him. I mean, he's probably, he probably exists. I mean, he's got some real narrow views on sexuality, and, you know, I do what I want with my money and my time. But if you think, I'm cool with God, but my life is my own, and I'll live it how I want, because I'm the one in charge. But like, you know, I'm cool with God. Uh, you're not. You are at war with God. 
because you're in your kingdom, because you're still king. Happens all the time, dude. All the time. Christians come to church, sit in beautiful seats like this, listen to, you know, mediocrely entertaining speeches like this, and think things like, man, I'm, I'm cool with God. Like, I don't hate him for sure. God, don't hate him. I, I, I like him. I like what he can give me. But I'm probably going to live my life how I'm going to live it. I'm going to do me. I'm going to play my cards how I want. Because you're going to do that anyway, right? Doesn't matter what kind of good speech I give. You're, like, you're going to play your cards how you want. And if at the end of the day, you think your life still belongs to you, you are at war with God. You're still in your kingdom. His kingdom has not come because you're still king. And there can only be one king. You see, you're still in control. And until you give away that fundamental, you know, steering wheel of your life, you're still in your kingdom. And according to this, you're still at war with God. Because your, your mind is fixed on yourself, your desires, your wants, right? You are, and, it, and if you are in your kingdom, it is a rival kingdom to the true kingdom. Until you say to God, Lord, I trust you more than I trust myself, you're still king, and you're still on the throne, and it's a rival kingdom. Have I made myself clear? <laughs> in other words, there is no peace unless, unless God comes to us, unless he offers forgiveness for, for the seditious acts that we've done, right? There's plenty of people who call, them Christians, call themselves Christians but are still, still at war with God's kingdom. And God is calling some of you today to put your arms down. Not your, not your arms, but you know what I'm talking about. Like arms. To put them down. <laughs> and receive forgiveness for the ways in which you've taken your life up to be your own. If this is true, if the Bible is right, then your life is not your own. You are a created being who has been created for a purpose, a good purpose, right? But for some of us, I think today, God wants to offer forgiveness to your heart for ignoring his right over your life. I think some of us are today in, here, in this room ignoring the rightful authority of God on our life, saying, sure, I'll take the good bits, but I still want to be in charge. And all that I've been saying, really, this morning can be summed up in the first line of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark, the Herald Angels Sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth, mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That's the peace of Christmas. There it is. God and sinner reconciled. He gives you peace as a king gives you peace, you see. As a king offers forgiveness for trying to rule yourself as if you were king. And only after we receive that kind of peace can we become peacemakers in our world. Peace with God, y'all. Let me pray for us.